All right, what's going on, everybody? It's Sacred Eagle. This is going to be a long video. It's going to be available elsewhere on Spotify, everywhere else, but there will be a link to Anchor down in the description below where you can get all the links to listen to this if you don't want to sit back and watch this on YouTube because it's a long one. So let's get right into it and stop beating around the bush. We're going to be talking about a lot of things today from Carson Wentz to players that need to step up, a lot of things going on. But the biggest thing that I want to talk about outside of the Giants and Eagles game as well, we're going to be talking about Brett Favre, who yesterday was on first take with Stephen A. Smith and Max Kellerman, talking about Carson Wentz and Nick Foles. Uh, very interesting. But I just want to recap real quick. I just want to recap real quick uh, what I talked about a couple of days ago on Monday. The fearless response when Carson Wentz was asked about deciding to give up on a player or extend it. I mean, I got a lot of comments, and it was one of my more uh, viewed videos lately, which is cool. And by the way, hit the subscribe button and the thumbs up. I'd appreciate it a lot if you did. I mean, you know how I feel about Carson Wentz as of late this year. It's been a very, very, uh, it's been very tough trying to defend him, trying to uh, agree or disagree with things that he's been doing. Uh, but when asked about when asked about this, when asked about uh, deciding to give up on a play or to extend it, he said that it's a fine line that he'll be walking and probably will have never fully solved in his entire career. And that's just the nature of who he is as a player and who he is in general and how we do things in Philly. And I got a lot of comments on that, uh, about, and people weren't happy. People were not happy. The, the viewers that I had watching this uh, were not happy at all saying that uh, – well, if he wants to do that, he'll basically just uh, throw himself out of Philly, you know, because, I mean, it's kind of true. It, it's really true when it comes to just he's not playing good. He's not playing smart. He's not playing at all well. And you got you to gotta understand when a play is dead and when a play isn't dead because if you don't, then you're just going to be continuing to – take hits, you're going to be continuing to turn the ball over and severely threaten your chances of winning a football game. And that's that's what we've been seeing all year long with Carson. He's leading the league in interceptions, turnovers by just one person. He has 16 total turnovers. I mean, and here, and here you go. Uh, people were talking about it yesterday. If Carson keeps this up, this is Tony Toro. Shout out to you if you're still a viewer over here. If Carson keeps this up, he's going to go out worse than Mark Sanchez. No organization starts a quarterback that habitually turns the ball over, which is very true. And then Rapid Fire Reaper said he thinks like a bust. He does not stay in shape like a bust. He has a bust mentality. He plays like a bust. After him saying that, this guy is a moron and clearly does not care about improving. Get this dude off this team, glorified backup. Man, and then Jason Wall, here you go. If he's if he's going to play this way, uh, if he's going to play his way out of the city, he might as well do it his way, I guess. And then Andrew said he's the next Brett Favre, the good and the bad. When he's unstoppable, he, when he's on, he's unstoppable. When he's off, he looks like Tom Brady did on Monday Night Football. As long as he trends to being more uh, on than off, I don't mind that. It's exciting to watch when it works, that's for sure. And then <laughs> somebody else replied, He's definitely not the next Brett Favre. And we're going to get to Brett Favre in a little bit because it's true. Brett Favre has spoken about Carson Wentz and about Nick Foles 
uh, which I find very interesting. And I honestly, I don't like Brett Favre as far as him personally, but as a player, I always loved watching him as a kid. I agree with what he said, and we'll get to it in a bit. But that's just that's just recapping a little bit of what's happened already this week with Carson Wentz and him not wanting to own up to the fact that he needs to change his game, that he needs to be better. I mean, he says he needs to be better, but he doesn't because he continues to do the one, complete opposite of what we're asking him to do, which is know when a play is dead and give up on a play. I don't I, like I like I've been saying all year long. It's tough to defend Carson Wentz when he's doing the same old things and he hasn't shown any sort of development as a player. You know, and and, and it's no, nothing against him as far as as far as what we'd say, you know, talent goes or anything along those lines and if he's got it or not, because we know he has it. We 100% do, but I don't know. I, I just feel I feel like I, I would prefer a quarterback who knows when a play is dead to just move on to the next one rather than putting himself at risk and trying to find something. And then, of course, with doing that, putting the ball on the ground and risking himself uh, and the team as a whole, really. like I, I don't know how much longer I can go watching him do this, especially when, especially against teams like the Giants and the Cowboys where you're giving them countless opportunities to stay in the game. And these are teams that we should not be keeping them around this much. You know, it's the, the Giants and the, and the Cowboys are not good teams. They are not. They're both messed up in their own ways. The Giants are rebuilding. The, the Cowboys have been a whole mess and whole different from injuries to the lack of consistency with their defense their head coach has not been – I mean, it's just it's just sad. It's, it's really sad, and I can't keep defending somebody who is just not helping our cause, basically, which is win the NFC East, try to make a run in the playoffs. That's, that's always the goal. It's always the goal to get to the Super Bowl, and we haven't seen the same Carson that led us to a playoff, uh, to a, a, a number one seed in the playoffs in almost three years now, and – and I, I don't, I don't know how much longer I can go watching him. I, I want, and I always say it, I want to love him. I really do, but it's just, it's just tough when he continues to make the same mistakes and he doesn't learn. Even though he says he's got to do better, doesn't mean that he's going to. And that's, that's the thing that gets me the most. It's just you consistently say that you're gonna be doing better, that you're gonna, you're gonna figure it out, but then you do the same things over and over again. That's you know what that's called. That's called insanity. <laughs> I saw a comment about that with the Giants game. That literally the way that he talks in his press conferences, it sounds like he is an insane person because he's doing the same things over and over that don't work. That's insanity. I don't know. I don't know. But off of Carson Wentz's comments again, just going off of Monday's video and that topic alone, I'm not happy with his answers. I'm not happy with him at all this year and. I mean, I think it's kind of obvious that none of us are happy with him right now. And there are people that are, uh, you know, diehards and they're going to stick with him, which, again, I fully 100% respect that. I'm trying my best to stick with him. I don't – again, Jalen Hurts, I don't want to throw his name on, in, in, into this. It's same thing with Nick Foles. I don't want to throw his name into this either. But, like, when your quarterback is playing as bad as he is, how much will it hurt to throw in a new guy or at least sit him down for – at least half a game like you did Donovan McNabb in 2008, right? I mean, it wouldn't hurt to do that. Doug Peterson doesn't want to, and he's 
he he sold on Carson Wentz, which is great to see. Same with Tyler Roseman, the whole organization. I mean, grant they're paying him thirty what thirty two million a year. Of course, they're sold on him, but I don't know how much longer you can be sold on somebody who is consistently playing the way he is. So I don't know. And moving on from that topic, <laughs> we got six Eagles besides Carson Wentz that need to step up in the second half of the season. This is off of NBC Sports uh, Philadelphia, Dan Roche. This was yesterday around 4 o'clock, a two-minute read. I read this, and I agreed 100%, and I felt like I needed to share it on this podcast, on this episode, because it's true. And listen, half of these guys I love to death. The other half are either new guys or just people that I know need to do better, and I'm not going to defend them. Number six on this list was linebacker TJ Edwards. Now, he wrote that Edwards was the defensive MVP of Eagles' last game against the Cowboys. He had 12 tackles, a sack, and a forced fumble. And he's going to get a lot more playing time with Nate Gary out of the lineup. Thank God. Sorry to Nate Gary, but it's the truth. He can take advantage of it and not only put on, put his mark on the season, but make the decision when Nate Gary gets healthy an easy one, which means let him take over for Nate Gary because we've been dealing with Nate Gary ever since, I'd say, what, like half a year after he's been drafted? And the thing with Gary was that he was drafted as a safety. We switched him over to linebacker. Now, I think that the reason why they did this was because he just – he simply is – he's a better tackler, but he's not good at reading what's happening as it's happening because we've seen him getting burned. We see, we see, we've seen him blown coverages. We've seen him mess up a lot, um, but he leads the team in tackles. <laughs> you know, that that's, that's the thing. I don't know if he's the play caller within the linebacker group. He might have been because of all the injuries. I think TJ Edwards, again, is going to take over that spot, and – I'm all for that because I think TJ Edwards is going to be a better fit and that he's going to be a better player undoubtedly. So definitely one can't wait to see him and hopefully he'll step up and do better. Uh, I, I agree with that 100%. Next on the list, this is somebody that I think we can all agree with right here. It's defensive tackle Javon Hargrave. We signed him to a three-year $39 million contract, and so far he hasn't played to the level that he's being paid. He's played in as many games where he's had zero tackles, three of them, as he's had with multiple tackles. That's this year. He's played six games, half of them with zero tackles, the other half with multiple tackles. He's not playing uh, the way we expected him to. He's not playing the way that we needed him to at all. And sure, he faces double teams, but not on every single play. And he needs to make his presence felt in the second half of the season. And I 100% agree. I was excited when we got Javon Hargrave. I feel like a lot of people were because he was going to help Fletcher Cox and Brandon Graham out on that defensive front. I mean, and, and don't get me wrong, Brandon Graham is having a crazy good year, and Fletcher Cox is not doing too bad in his own right, but Javon Hargrave was supposed to be an upgrade, especially with the rotation that we run. And he has not been playing up to par. And now that he's healthy, now that everybody on that D-line is basically healthy, uh, we need him the most outside of, again, Brandon Graham and Fletcher Cox to make their presence known um, 100%. And moving forward, we're going to have to rely on our defensive line a lot in general because we're playing teams outside of the Cowboys, Washington, and New York. We're playing teams like the Browns, love to run the football. We're playing teams like the Saints, they love to run the football. The Packers, they love to run the football. Seattle, 
while they might not run the ball as well as they used to, they still got Russell Wilson back there who can make plays go for a lot longer than they should and do some crazy stuff, okay? So we're going to need Javon Hargrave and everybody on that D-line to step up their game, but Javon Hargrave is at the, the center, at the face of what needs to be better on that defensive front, and it's, it's 100% the truth. Javon Hargrave, step up. We know that you're better. We want to see you do better, so play better. Next on the list, this one, you guys know, I'm a big Jason Peters fan. I've always been a fan of him. He's Dude, he's been playing for Philadelphia since I was nine years old. I'm 20 now. <laughs> you know, he's been playing for so long. I, I can't hate on him. I really can't, except for when he gets hurt constantly and when he is benching or making our younger players not play because he wants to play. And <laughs> listen... I mean, you could you could say what you want about him. He's going to be a Hall of Famer. He's going to definitely be in the Eagles Hall of Fame. We most likely will retire his number. I mean, 71 is going to be iconic in the future. As of right now, it's kind of hated because he's 38, nearly 39, and he's still taking time away from Jordan Maialata. Andre Dillard, if he hadn't gotten hurt, he would be in that spot. And then same with Jordan Maialata. But he's a Hall of Famer. We know that. If you told me a year ago that <laughs> – you would have an actual debate on whether or not to start Jordan Maialata in front of Peters. You would have been laughed at, and that's what that's what Dan has written here, and it's true. It's it's really true. No one's laughing anymore because Jordan Maialata's played really well. He's had one bad game against the Giants, I, I would say, and he's done really well uh, in relief of and- uh, Andre Dillard and Jason Peters. But now that Jason Peters is being started thanks to Doug Peterson, because it's Peters, if Peterson is smart, put Jason Peters on a short leash. Now, I mean, Jason Peters didn't look bad at all against the, the Cowboys. But I will agree, if Jason Peters starts to shit the bed, you're going to have to bench him and put in somebody younger and someone faster, somebody better. And Jordan Maialata, he's looked really well. He's looked really good at left tackle. We're going to be moving him around, especially if Lane Johnson isn't able to play at right tackle. He played at right tackle uh, earlier on when. Of course, we had more healthier people <laughs> on the offensive line, but uh, I agree that Jordan or Jason Peters, with the threat of Jordan Maialata, needs to play better uh, throughout the rest of the year. I, I feel honestly, I feel happy with uh, Jason Peters and Jordan Maialata. I don't feel much of a uh, much of an issue on the offensive line as much as I did compared to, to the start of the season. If the Eagles can just get healthy and get a uh, Lane Johnson 100% playing throughout the entire game, not having an ankle or a calf or anything or a knee strain to, to worry about this offensive line is going to be really good when it needs to be really good. Because again, we play teams like the Packers, the Saints, the Seahawks, the Cardinals, Browns. Those are five teams right there that the Eagles need to be on their a game because the Browns, they're kind of pretenders, but the other four, those guys are playoff teams right now, playoff caliber teams that need to be looked at. So we'll see what happens. Jason Peters, watch yourself. Stay healthy, of course, but don't play badly. I don't want I don't want to see him play badly, especially if it's gonna benefit our team, but I don't know. I don't know. But we'll see how that goes. Moving on, we got uh we got Dallas Goddard at number three which I, I can agree to this one too because, yes, he's been injured. He's missed almost every single game since the Bengals game up until playing against Dallas. 
coming out of this bye week, Goddard should be very close to 100%. And if uh, if he's not already there, he had just one catch for 15 yards against the Cowboys, which is sub very, very bad, very bad. His first game back after missing, missing four games with a dislocated ankle, of course. We know that. With Ertz still out for the foreseeable future, there's no reason why he shouldn't be a focal point over on the offense over the next few weeks at least. And I agree. I think the Eagles need to get back to doing what works, especially with Carson Wentz, and that's tight ends, using utilizing your tight ends to the, their maximum potential. Dallas Goddard is going to be a very big part of this Eagles offense moving forward, especially if we don't return re- retain uh, Zach Ertz, which I don't think he will. Oh, happy belated birthday, by the way. He turned 30 yesterday. Dallas Goddard hasn't really been that much of a threat to uh, to Zach Ertz and his you know his name as a starter or anything, but Dallas Goddard is a playmaker, 100%. And he's he's a younger, bigger uh, Zach Ertz uh, who's made a lot of really good plays when Zach Ertz wasn't able to uh, last year. So when he had the rib injury. So I, I look at Dallas Goddard and I say definitely got to get him more involved. And, you know, I, I think if we do that, the Eagles are going to have a really good time uh, in uh, passing the football, really. So. Hopefully he's 100%. I think he will be. I think he's good enough. I think he's more than good enough uh, to be a big part of the offense moving forward. So we'll see. Now this one, <laughs> this one is a very controversial one because of who he is. Number two, wide receiver Alshon Jeffrey. Now, setting aside that the team... Setting aside the thought that the team put him back on the roster way too early, which is very true. He's been on the active roster for way too long, and he hasn't even stepped foot on the uh, on the field. Now is the time for Jeffrey to shine. With a second go-to receiver alongside Travis Fulgham, Carson Wentz should get his rhythm back just in time. Now, I don't know how much of an impact Alshon Jeffrey is going to have. There are people that believe that he's going to have a really big impact, that he's going to help out this team a lot, and that we need him. Of course, with Sean Jackson out until December, we truly won't know until we see it happen. Um, Travis Fulgham has really been carrying this team at the wide receiver position for the past month and a half of football. Jalen Rager is just now returning from his injury, so we're going to see a lot of him, uh, especially due to Deshaun Jackson's injury, like I just mentioned. Alshon Jeffrey should... See a lot of play time. Uh, and that would mean that Rager would move to the slot, I would I would assume. And again, you could play Rager wherever you want. You could play Fulgham wherever you want. Alshon is more of an outside, uh, go up the top, jump ball, 50-50 type, type of player. Uh, but it's been so long, nearly a year since Alshon has been on the field, I don't know how great he's going to be when he comes back. And I think that's something that we have to take into consideration. I believe that he's worth giving a chance, even though I'd rather continue to see the young players do what they do, and that's shine under their opportunity to play. We've seen Fulgham do it. We've seen Greg Ward do it last year. We're seeing, hopefully, Rager continuing to you know build upon each individual game. Um, but I, I do feel like Jeffrey could definitely help out this team a little bit. I don't know. We just have to wait and see. But if hey people at NBC Sports Philly can agree to put Wentz or put Alshon Jeffrey on this list, I see no reason why I shouldn't. We just gotta wait and see. We really just we just gotta wait. And the number one, 
person, the number one eagle that needs to step up is none other than Doug Peterson himself, head coach and offensive play caller for the Philadelphia Eagles. Now this one, this is one that none of us should disagree on 100%. Nobody should be saying that Doug Peterson shouldn't have to step up. There's been plenty of hand wringing around Wentz's bad season, and for good reason. But Peterson's play calling and in-game decisions have been just as bad, if not worse. I understand you've had injuries galore, and that shortens the playbook. But he knew these players would be out of the mix well before kickoff in most of these cases. He's got to do a far better job of thinking on his feet and fast. And this one right here, that 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 last sentence, that those last two sentence, sentences, which is basically half of this little little blip of of details. We understand that you've had injuries galore, and that shortens the playbook. But he knew that most of these players will be out of the mix well before uh, kickoff, and he's got to do better thinking on his feet and fast. Those ones really struck to me because. It's the truth. You don't think about it too much, but the injuries that the Eagles have had have, especially when it when it when it's specifically about you know the other games, like the games after those injuries. You know that certain players aren't going to be able to be there. You knew Deshaun Jackson wasn't going to be there for a couple of weeks. You knew Jeffrey wasn't going to be there for a couple of weeks. You knew Miles Sanders wasn't going to be there for a couple of weeks. Why? And then of course, and of course, before I even go further into that topic, the offensive line. The offensive line has been shattered the entire season. And against teams like the Cowboys, teams that you know are poor, are bad against the run, even with an offensive line that's shaky, why are we passing more than running? when your offensive line can't handle it, especially with the type of quarterback you have in the center. Carson Wentz is somebody that will hold on to the ball and extend the play even if it doesn't have to be extended. Knowing this and knowing that some of these teams you're playing are bad against the run, that have been allowing over 200 yards a game, i.e. the Dallas Cowboys. Why didn't we see players like Boston Scott and Corey Clement and Jason Huntley why didn't we see them get the ball more? Why not run with what works? And it always brings me back. And you know me, I hate outside of when I compared Carson went to stats to uh, just, you know, study them year in and year out to, to really see the decline that the stats can tell you outside of watching the tape, which is more important. The stats can tell you enough as well. But in 2017, you had a full team, right? Of course, you had Jeffrey, you had Torrey Smith, Nelson Aguilar, you had LeGarrette Blunt, you traded for Jay Ajayi, and you had Corey Clement, the rookie. The Eagles felt like the most balanced team in the NFL. Running the ball, play action passes, everything clicked and everything worked, and you stayed true to who you were, and that was, let's run first, let's set up the play action, and then we can go guns ablaze and throw the ball all over the place. Lately, it's been run uh, uh, pass first and don't even think about the run unless if we need to, unless if I feel like we need to. It's been less of preparation and more of just let's just do what we just do whatever. That's how I feel Doug Peterson has been handling this season. He's been very poor 
at play calling. He's been very bad at knowing what to do in which situation to do it. And this this just struck home to me. Again, bring me back to 2017 comparing to now. It's just you can see it through the years. It's just gotten worse and worse and worse, just like Carson Wentz and his decision-making and his erratic passes and stuff like that. Like the little things that you can pick up year in and year out, they've gotten worse and worse and worse. And in Doug Peterson's case, he's done a poor job of balancing out this offense, making it click throughout four full quarters. And, of course, that also goes to the players. But as a head coach, when you see something isn't working, you have to figure out what will work. Half the time things don't work with the Eagles offensively, which have been pass plays. You don't think to change it up. You just keep passing. That's not going to get you anywhere. And that's why Doug Peterson is definitely the number one Eagle that needs to step up 100%. I agree with this article, and I agree with that last one right there 100%. Let me know how you guys feel about the Eagles and the Eagles, the, 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 the Eagles that need to step up the most. Let me know who you guys think they are and why in the comments down below. I 100% agree. That Doug Peterson is the biggest eagle that needs to step up the most, and that's why. I mean, we can all agree to it. I feel like we can all agree to that, can't we? Let's be real here. We got some more comments here about Carson Wentz because again, he's kind of, he's mostly the focal point of everything that's been going wrong <laughs> with the Eagles this year. Of course, outside of Doug Peterson and what we just talked about, but. Press Taylor, Eagles quarterback coach, says that he wants Carson Wentz to stay aggressive, but nothing trumps ball security. This is from the Inquirer. This is yesterday around 4 o'clock as well, where, <laughs> where he was asked about Carson Wentz. And it's safe to assume that no coach spends more time talking with him than Wentz. Let's face it, Doug Peterson looks like he never talks to Carson, especially when the game is happening. Carson kind of just stays in his own little bubble with the quarterbacks. <clears throat> And that's about it. But this is what Press Taylor said. While Carson Wentz is in the midst of his worst stretch in his career, Press Taylor said in the conversation between the two, sometimes focuses on the expectations the team has for its franchise quarterback. And then this is what he said. We continue to talk about the standards we have for our offense, for the quarterback play with our within our offense, and making sure that he understands that at all times, and making sure that he is practicing that. Living that in and out of the building. Everything comes with that, and we've continued to talk about that. <laughs> sure. Sure. Basically what he's saying there is that he, we've, been har- we've been harping over and over that he knows, that he knows what to do, that we don't have to tell him what to do. But I don't know if it's really clicking. Press Taylor. I really don't. I don't know if what you're telling Carson is really clicking with him because he doesn't seem to change. He doesn't seem to grow and develop as a as a quarterback should. I mean, do you really think that Aaron Rodgers was always Aaron Rodgers? Do you really think Tom Brady was always Tom Brady? No. Whether they were on the bench or not, they played the game. They learned from their coaches, from their from what they do, from the mistakes that they've made. They learn and they get better. They grow from it and become a better athlete, a better player, a better leader. This is why nowadays when people bring up Doug, uh, Dak Prescott and Carson Wentz, who's better, who's worse? I, I, can't, I can't pick Carson anymore. I can't. And you're seeing how much the, the Cowboys are missing Dak Prescott. How much do you think the Eagles will miss Carson Wentz if he went out with this team? 
And I know that they're two drastic different teams. Of course, the Cowboys have their own issues with the defense and leadership among the, or not just not just leadership, just just the desire to play uh, behind this 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 head coach of theirs, Mike McCarthy. But you see how much of an influence uh, Dak Prescott has had. Does Carson Wentz really have that? And is he really showing to you that he's learned what you're trying to teach him? That he's learned and trying to get better? Because I personally, I don't know. I don't think he has. From what I'm seeing, I don't think he is. He continued. He continued on to say uh, right here after Taylor has been a part of the Eagles or, uh, coaching staff for eight years, and in his third season as the head, uh, the quarterbacks coach, he's been there ever since 2018. Just letting you know that. When asked about what's going, what what's gone so wrong for Wentz, Taylor said there are more than one or two culprits, and let's see what he said about that. Let's see. So let's let's really break this down to see what the co- the coach believes is wrong with Carson Wentz. I don't know that there's necessarily one certain thing that I could put my finger on and say, this is our number one issue. If that were the case, we would have certainly got that corrected away, right away. The biggest issue has been our turnovers. <laughs> the turnovers lead to less plays, lead to less opportunities, lead to less points. And so that's really our number one focus is cleaning up the turnover ratio that we've had. So you go from, I don't know if it's necessarily one certain thing to the turnovers are the biggest issue. Okay. And <laughs> he continues on down here. Uh, the way that he's played, and honestly, that's the way we call games. That's the way he's played, and that's the way we call games. Okay. We're going to be aggressive, and we're going to be bold in our approach. We're going to take our shots when we feel like the situation calls for that. But as a quarterback, nothing will ever trump ball security. And that's something we will always talk about. Whether it is whether it is we are directing him to push the ball down the field, it's an out-of-pocket decision that happens later in the down. Whatever it is, ball security will always be a premium. Now... Again, when I think about what he's saying, especially in the context of which he's been asked, like the question that he's been asked to answer, it, it straight up just sounds like Carson Wentz is turning the ball way, turning the ball over way too much, and that's the only problem. Now, you can say what you want about his accuracy, you can say what you want about everything else, but that is the truth right there, one hundred percent. That he, oh my gosh, he's been turning the ball over way too much, and, and I know, I know, it's it's a broken record. We're just repeating it over and over, but. You're hearing the coaches now agree and say that, yeah, he's got to be better with ball security. Then my biggest thing is why the hell are you guys not focusing on that more? We talk about, oh, yeah, it's the turnovers. He's got to be better. We got we to gotta fix that turnover ratio. But then that's the way he's always played and that he's going to be aggressive. So, so what we talked about on Monday where Carson said that that's just the way I play and that's just the way we play around here, that's not a lie. Press unless if Press Taylor is backing him up, like hard backing him up right here, then they're not lying. That's just the way they are, and they really are accepting it. But why? You know? Because the successful teams are not going to play like this. Like, like there's a difference between playing aggressive and playing stupid. You can't just just have random just say, oh, throw the ball down the field, whether you gotta, you know, get out of the pocket or not. Make just try to throw it down the field. And if he forces it down there or not, whatever, just gloss it aside. Like, oh, well, that was just the play. That's just how it went. That's it. You can't just say that. You can't just do that. 
we're going to be bold in our approach. We're going to take our shots when the situation calls for that. I, I, I get that. I get it. But why? Again, because sometimes when you feel like the, the, the situation calls for it, it really isn't. That's just how you feel in the moment. That's how Doug Peterson feels in the moment as a play caller. So why? Why back them up like this? Why why say what they're saying when it's not working? And that heart that, that brings me back to earlier on where I was talking about when one thing isn't working, why stick with it? Because it's just not gonna work. Again, you're just repeating yourself over and over again. You need to be more creative and you need to be smarter with your play calling, with your decision making, everything. You have to be a smart coach. You can't just be bold in your approach and expect it to work. And when it doesn't work, oh well, let's just keep doing what we do best. That's not how it's, that's not how it works. Not in this league. Not in this league. Look at Bill Belichick right now trying to do things differently with the Patriots and a new coach or a new a new quarterback and everything. It's not going well, but you're seeing things that Bill Belichick is trying to do because he has to continue to evolve as a coach. As and Cam Newton and everybody else in that offense and on that defense, they have to continue to evolve as players. Look at what's happening in New Orleans, where they were, they started out slow, and now you're seeing them full-on dominate other teams that are, are looking like they're going to be Super Bowl contenders. How? Because they change things up. They don't do the same things over and over again. What is their strength? They're running backs. They're wide receivers. we got to utilize them in a special way. What's the Eagles' strength right now? Travis Fulgham, Miles Sanders, and your tight ends. Utilize them in a way that works and in a way that makes sense given who works and when it works the best. And with Carson Wentz, I don't know what works best because we're seeing the same things from him constantly. We don't know what truly works and what truly doesn't work. Inaccuracy, forcing the plays to to just be extended for no reason, committing turnovers. We need to see something different from him from both a play caller standpoint and from quarterback play. Press Taylor is feeding into, oh, well, this is just the way he plays, and that's it. And we just gotta we just gotta tone down the turnovers, but he's gonna keep playing the way he, he's gonna keep playing the way he's playing, but we gotta tone down the turnovers. Brett Favre had seven uh, seven plus seasons where he threw 20 or more interceptions. Yes, he was a successful quarterback. He went to a lot of playoff games, he won a Super Bowl, yes. But do you really think that in those moments, Brett Favre was like just going batshit crazy and that the play calling wasn't changing to benefit the entire team in that situation? I don't know, man. I don't know. I don't know how I feel about, again, what Carson Wentz said earlier on and what Press Taylor is saying as well. I, I, I truly don't know. Let me know how you guys feel about it because it's a mess and – it's just whatever. And before we switch topics, Press Taylor also talked about Jalen Hurts. Um, along with you know everything that's been said about Carson and the turnovers, uh, that that's something that we have to clean up and that he's confident about that. Nothing trumps ball security. Um, low, low completion percentage where he said there's a number of issues that he wouldn't say it's just certainly him. All that stuff. He went on to be talk about uh, Jalen Hurts and being a rookie quarterback, being 
somebody that a lot of the people in the fan base, whether you agree with it or not, I'm not going to say how I feel about it. I, I've said it in the heat of the moment, but I don't. I truly don't know at this point. You know how conflicted I am. Jalen Hurts has done a really good job in learning our system, learning the kind, learning kind of the rhythm, the ins and out of each week within a season, seeing how games, game plans evolve, and how offense evolves, how you mix in personnel and how it goes, and how he's doing a really good job with the process right there. Really, we're really excited about him, and the development continues to show. And then, furthermore. Press Taylor talked about why Jalen Hurts and the Eagles have had success with a two-quarterback offense, and he pointed out some unscouted looks, unique formations, not knowing until they break the huddle where Hurts will line up. He goes back to the Baltimore game where he says he kind of had a spark there in the second quarter playing quarterback and able to run the ball when we had a gadget play that and had that potential for a big play. Then he comes in in the second half, and he enters uh, the field. They go on a zero blitz look and he lines up at a receiver. He's more of an eye candy on a ghost motion type thing. And we are, we are able to split this to, to spit out a split zone for a huge play there. And I think that's a kind of cat and mouse game, a little bit of you're not sure where he's going to align, what role he's going to have. So you're just kind of aware and you're on edge a bit. There are, there are times where it's good, but there are times where we're not sure how they're going to align. So you want to be cautious. You want to be aggressive. You're trying to walk that line again of are we doing too much? Are we putting ourselves in a bad position? Our offensive line in a bad position because there are some unknowns, obviously. So the biggest thing out of those two, the second one was a huge one. I'm sorry I read that so quickly, but the biggest thing was talking about his development and that he's learning the rhythm. He's learning the ins and outs on how game plans evolve, how games go, how you mix personnel, and he's doing a really good job at it. Now, again, I truly don't know what the Eagles are trying to do here as far as uh, as far as Jalen Hurts because you drafted him in the second round for gadget plays, right? That's, that, that's what they're claiming. But when you talk so much about his development, it, it really just sounds like we're treating him as if he's going to take over. And I'm, not trying to, I'm not trying to insinuate that at all. I'm not saying that I want that at all. It's just weird to me that Jalen Hurts, a, a player out of college with his talent and his and what, with with his resume, what he's done in his time in college, that we would draft him in the second round over wide receivers, over linebackers, to play gadget plays and to develop him to be a quarterback factory, as they as they as they talked about it back back in April. And I'm I'm really trying to grasp what exactly we're doing here with Carson Wentz and with Jalen Hurts because <laughs> I don't know at this point. It's nice to hear that he's developing and he's getting better uh, and that he's really learning very well how you know the game works, how the NFL works and everything. But I truly – I don't know anymore. <laughs> I don't know anymore how I feel about Jalen Hurts or Carson Wentz at this point because it, it's, such, it's such a mixed bag and it's such a crazy season. It's just it's – just, it's been too much. It's been way too much. I'll just end this. I'll just end this section off with: I'm glad to hear that he's been de- developing better, and that he's learning, and that he's processing everything the way that he should be. But man, I have no clue where we're going here when it comes to Jalen Hurts and Carson Wentz. People want him as a co- as as the new quarterback. 
I don't know it anymore. Let me know how you guys feel about Jalen Hurts and about Press Taylor's comments about Carson Wentz because it's so much. It's so crazy. Uh, it's just unbelievable at this point that this is where we're at, you know? We're first place, but with so many issues and a controversy that just the Eagles are just just egging themselves into, you know, with, uh, I don't know. I don't know. It's it's a lot. It's a lot. Uh, I got I got one little thing that I wanted to mention. That I, I want to discuss it a little bit. Now, now I have a video coming out, obviously towards the towards Friday, Saturday, breaking down the Eagles versus the Giants. But I want to talk about it now. And I'm actually, as I'm doing this, I'm going to look into the stats of the last game between the Eagles versus Giants. Why? Because it's very important to uh, to see just where these two teams stand and how things are going to go, you know, next next this upcoming game. Really, now we all we all know the Eagles beat the uh, the Dallas Cowboys or Dallas Cowboys. Well, we did, but we beat the New York Giants twenty-two to twenty-one. And just look at the stat line real quick. Just break down a couple of things, because why not, right? Daniel Jones threw 30 passes, completed 20 of them for 182 yards, a t- two touchdowns and an interception. He also ran for 92 yards. One of them was an 80-yard run. <laughs> the famous 80-yard run. Oh, God. And then Sterling Shepard had 60 yards, receiving six receptions and a touchdown. Carson Wentz, meanwhile... He threw 43 times, uh, completed 25 of those passes, (laughs) 359 yards, two touchdowns, and an interception. Now, and just looking at this whole game as a whole, I mean, the Giants had more turnovers. That's one. The Eagles dominated time of possession by five minutes, dominated total yards. They dominated everything, I think, except for rushing yards. Yeah, the Eagles had 96 to the Giants, 160. So when I look ahead at this upcoming game, what can the Eagles learn from their first game against the Giants? And, of course, other games where the Giants have played tremendously well. Their record is 2-7, and seven, but they've played really well against other teams, especially the Buccaneers uh, last Monday night, right? I think the biggest thing that the Eagles need to do is fully shut down Daniel Jones and this offense. Now, of course, they're not having Saquon. They weren't going to have him all year because of the torn ACL. But Sterling Shepard, I don't know if Golden Tate's going to play. He didn't play against Dallas, so we'll, we'll talk about that more in the actual video I make. Um, but the Eagles got to shut down Daniel Jones in this this Cowboy or this Giants offense. They can't allow runs for eighty yards. They can't. They can't allow. They can't let them convert on third downs. Now this game wasn't very good on third downs. Let's be real here. The, the Giants converted only 3 out of 10. The Eagles only converted 4 out of 13. The, Gi- the, the Giants never went for it on fourth down. But, but this is the big thing. Just because they weren't converting on third downs doesn't mean that they weren't getting first downs. They got 17 third ten- first downs to our 27. And three of the first downs that the Giants got were from penalties. And if you look at the penalties here, the Eagles... They didn't have as many as the Giants. The Giants had nine, but we had seven. We had seven for 75 yards. The Giants had nine for 62. 
big penalties, holding calls, pass interferences, roughing the passers. The Eagles have to be they have to be smart and they have to be ready for whatever the Giants throw at them because Jason Garrett, he knows the Eagles well. He knows how we run on defense. He's coached against us for nearly a decade, a little over a decade, I believe. He knows how to do this. He knows how to make Daniel Jones look good. You saw it against the Buccaneers. You saw it against the Washington football team both times. You saw it against the Giants or the Cowboys a couple of weeks ago when Dak Prescott hurt himself. This Giants team is not a team to be overlooked. No team anymore. Of course, we know this. We're halfway through the season. No team should be overlooked when they're playing against the Philadelphia Eagles. Doesn't matter what their record is. Doesn't matter anything like that. And I'll end it off here. I'll end this short little session off here. Section off here. The Eagles got to just be smart. The Eagles can't be overconfident. They cannot overlook this team. They cannot believe that this team is just going to roll over. Because, again, you saw it in the last time we played them. They were beating us by 11 points. Okay, they were beating us 27 to 10 going into the fourth quarter. Or at least into the final stages, the last five, six minutes of the fourth quarter. We mounted a comeback against them once again, yeah, but we shouldn't have had to. That goes back to play calling. That goes back to decision-making. That goes back to quarterback play. That goes back to the defense and letting big plays happen for no reason. Got to be better. Got to be smarter. And I'll talk more about this game when we get closer to, obviously, Friday is probably when the video will be out. So stay tuned for that. Yeah. Giants and Eagles is going to be a doozy. But if I had to pick right now, which I don't want to, but I'm going to, I'm going to pick the Eagles. And I'll explain more on that on Friday. The last thing that I want to talk about <laughs> is the first thing that I mentioned. Brett Favre, former, former teammate of Doug Peterson, Super Bowl winning quarterback. We all know who he is. <laughs> what does he think about Carson Wentz? I mentioned at the very start of this all, 47 plus minutes ago, that Brett Favre mentioned Nick Foles' name when talking about Carson Wentz. And I wonder why. I wonder why. Now, if you haven't heard what he said yesterday on uh, on Stephen, on with, with Stephen A. Smith on the first take alongside Stephen A. Smith, Molly Quirman, What's his name? Max Kellerman, the boxer guy, whatever, Max Kellerman. <sighs> he was asked, there's a whole little 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 time slot for Carson Wentz. And the question, the question was about whether or not they believe Carson Wentz to be a franchise quarterback given the drop-off from 2017 MVP caliber right around here to uh, 2020 leading the NFL in turnovers and interceptions. So what is Favre? Think of over the Philadelphia Eagles star signal caller. Brett Favre sat with Screaming A. Smith and Max Kellerman for a little under 10 minutes. Everything from Nick Foles to whether Doug, whether or not Doug Peterson was the biggest issue was on the table. And here are the two highlights. Here we go. He believes that Carson, of course, has the tools. That he has the capability to be a great quarterback, right? But here's the thing. Here, here's the thing. He mentioned injuries, inconsistency with players. 
that Carson Wentz is playing with. But here's where things get extremely interesting. He said, and I quote, I actually thought that they should have kept Nick Foles rather than Carson Wentz, just based off of production and where they got to. They won a Super Bowl with Foles. That was a bit surprising. They're obviously banking on Carson Wentz's upside. But how many more years do you let it linger before you stick with him or cut bait? And <laughs> based off of this alone, he is giving into everybody who believes that Carson Wentz should have been traded and that Nick Foles should have remained had uh, the star quarterback for the Eagles after 2017. And of course, when, when you take that little, you know, little few seconds of uh, what he said, and you take that into consideration, you well, you take that into more, more context. Yeah. Nick Foles won the Super Bowl, of course, but who got them the number one seat? Carson Wentz. But if you want to argue that, and this is completely fair to say and fair to argue In 2018, Carson Wentz, through 11 games, was 5-6, and six, and they were fresh off of bl- getting blown out by the New Orleans Saints and losing a close one in overtime to the Dallas Cowboys. They must win round two against Dallas Cowboys. They lost it. They lost both those games. Carson Wentz got sat down, but it turns out he had a back injury the entire time. Nick Foles came in, and he went 4-1 of one in the last five games. Went 4-1. To get the Eagles to nine and seven, the sixth seed, and they went to Chicago, where the infamous double doink happened. They won a playoff game, and then they went to New Orleans. And if it wasn't for Alshon Jeffrey tipping a ball into the air that got intercepted, they most likely would have beaten the New Orleans Saints, who at the time were the second best team behind the Los Angeles Rams. Actually, no. I think it's the other way around. They were the best team alongside the Los Angeles Rams. And then the Eagles decided not to franchise tag him, and Foles decided not to stay with them, and he went to Jacksonville. And then 2019 happened. Carson Wentz struggled throughout the entirety of the season. Didn't turn the ball over much. It was just lack of points being scored. Lack of, you know, consistency. Lack of, uh... Overall, they just weren't able to do much until around December where they played the entire NFC East, the, the, the Giants twice, the once upon a time Washington Redskins and Dallas Cowboys, and managed to steal it from the Cowboys, won the division, and played against the Seahawks only to get, only to get hurt again and lose. This right here, man, you take all that up, and what what do you feel will be best for the Eagles? I mean, let's be real here. I, I we're, if we're talking talent alone, yes, Carson Wentz has more talent. But if we're talking production, if we're talking, if we're talking winning, consistency, clutch when it needs to be clutch when it, when it matters most. Nick Foles does have it, right? But then, I don't know. It's a mixed bag. It's a mixed bag about it all. But then, here you go. 
We've all discussed, this is the question that they asked him. We've all discussed the nauseism, whether or not Carson Wentz is a franchise quarterback. The jury is still out on that one, but Brett Favre thinks he knows the answer. That's a tough one. It's puzzling. I think he's very capable. I think he know. I think, or I know, he has to stay healthy. The pieces around him. I'm not saying that they're good enough or they're not good enough, but they have to stay healthy and have some consistency. Sometimes I don't even know who he's throwing to. They have just been riddled with injuries, and that has certainly not helped Carson. And he's been injured himself. Play a full season with your guys, and let's see what you're capable of. There are some little things that were left out here, specifically. Oh, man. Just certain things, man. There are certain things left out here that I'm blanking on. But Brett Favre's comments overall, not favorable to Carson. As far as his overall production and if whether or not he's a leader or not, or that he can is capable of doing great things, consistencies, injuries. But he brings up Nick Foles, and that's the part that hurts me the most because I, I <sighs> from twenty seventeen on, from twenty seventeen to twenty nineteen, I had always, always been Team Carson. I'd always been. Defending him over everybody else, over Foles, over any Josh McCown. Now uh, Jalen Hurts going into the season, uh, and now here I am, and I'm conflicted as all hell about what who would work best, and just uh, it's really it's really tough to hear people bring it up more because. Like I, I listened to first take. Max Kellerman's very harsh on Carson. Stephen A. Smith is the opposite, but lately he has been agreeing with just how poorly Carson's been playing. You bring in somebody that not only has been in that situation before, a quarterback that turns over the ball a lot, but he has a, he's had a lot of success. But he is the quarterback that that Carson Wentz idolizes, right? That his play is so similar to. This is what's happened now. You know, this is where we're at now. <laughs> oh, man. And Doug Peterson also has something to say about it, though. It took a few questions, but Philadelphia Eagles head coach Doug Peterson ultimately distanced himself from friend Brett Favre's recent comments that the team should have moved forward with Nick Foles instead of Carson Wentz. What was his words? Well... Uh, Doug Peterson went on to say that he respects, I respect his opinion and his words. Those aren't mine. Please don't put words in my mouth. We're going to have a problem. Carson's our guy. Bottom line, end of story. Now, I don't, I don't think that he ever said that Doug Peterson said any of that, right? Like, I don't understand why he reacted that way. But he went on to say this. Carson's our guy. Carson was our draft pick. Carson's the guy that's going to carry us and lead this football team. Listen, everybody's entitled to their own opinions. Those aren't my words. Those aren't Howie Roseman's or Jeffrey Lurie's. Those are his words. I respect his opinion. Whatever he wants to say, that's fine. And we're going to remain friends. Doesn't bother me one way or the other. 
at the end of the day, it's really whatever. Everybody has their own opinions, so I don't know. <laughs> oh, man. I, <laughs> this is, a, like, it's rep, it's repeating itself. Doug Peterson consistently, whenever getting hit with something like this, fires back, but he takes it, like, in a personal way, like, <laughs> I don't know. That's rough. That's rough right there. I mean, for for your former colleague and friend and teammate to say that you were wrong in picking the quarterback to move forward with your team as a coach. I mean, I, I guess I get where he's coming from, but like the words that he said in the first part of the sentence or in the first part of this whole whole response was that please don't put words in my mouth or we're going to have a problem. Brett Favre never said you said anything. I remember Brett Favre, this is what I was going to say. Brett Favre said, or it was left out of that article that Brett Favre was talking about how Doug is always, he's a smart guy and he's going to make it simple for you. He's not going to overcomplicate things. That's all he said. That's all he said about Doug Peterson. So so that, that response right there is just, the whole thing with Carson Wentz being, you know, benched for, for Jalen Hurts or questioned for uh, sticking with him over Nick Foles, it's just, it's so insane to me. You know, and, and again, I, I said it a couple of minutes ago, it's insane to me that this is where we're at right now in Philly. I mean, but at the same time, can you really blame us at this point? At least in Dallas or in New York, they don't have an issue with who their quarterback is. Danny Dimes has a few kinks to kink out. Uh, and Dak Prescott, I mean, he just needed his money, and now he doesn't have it. We don't know what's going to happen to him due to his injury. Carson Wentz has been backed up his entire career by his coaches, never taking any sort of uh, criticism or just accepting that it's like – taking responsibility and ownership of your mistakes and stuff. He never does that. He just repeats himself and says that, you know, he has to be better and that he will be better and that he's got to, that they have to clean some things up. No, duh. But when are you going to take accountability? That's my main question. And that doesn't go to just Carson, but it goes to, it goes to Doug Peterson. Because to Doug Peterson, you made the decision to stick with Carson Wentz over Nick Foles. Nick Foles, the man that actually had the playoff experience, the man that led you to that playoff win, and the following year led you back to another um, another playoff win and nearly led you back to the NFC Championship game. You're sticking with the quarterback who tore his ACL, broke a rib in a preseason game in his rookie season, had back issues, was being called out for, as a bad leader by anonymous uh, Eagles for back-to-back seasons, Can't couldn't stay healthy, and now, after 2019, where he played a full 16 uh, games, barely played in a playoff game before getting illegally knocked out, is here in 2020 stinking up the joints. While Nick Foles, for the most part, I mean, at the end of the day, Nick Foles is 5-4. and four. That team around him isn't that great in Chicago, but he was winning games. 
he's on a losing streak now, but he was winning games and he was looking good. And even in losses, he's still looking good. Stats are bad, aren't that bad. Carson Wentz, even in winning games, has had a bad stats. Because the Cowboys only threw for over 120 yards, two touchdowns, two interceptions, two fumbles. In a loss, Nick Foles didn't even throw an interception. Had a fumble, but he didn't, interse- didn't throw an interception. I don't know. I feel it's safe to say that it's understandable why Nick Foles should have stayed in Philadelphia because the system did seem to benefit him the most. And you saw it back in 2013. You saw what worked for him in 2013 and 2014. You saw him move to St. Louis. Didn't work out. You saw him go to Kansas City. He played a couple of games there as a backup. Looked pretty darn good. Came to Philadelphia, won a Super Bowl, won a playoff game, won to Jacksonville, didn't look good, went to Chicago. Been a mixed bag due to the personnel around him, but it's a system that works for him. Doug Peterson's response here. Let me know how you guys feel about Brett Favre's uh, opinion on whether or not they should have kept Carson or in Foles. And let me know how you feel about Doug Peterson and his response, uh, the way he handled responding to his former uh, teammate and friend, uh, Brett Favre. But that's it. That's it. And I appreciate everybody who uh, stuck around to listen in on this and watch the video. If you watched it fully, much appreciated. Drop a like and subscribe if you're new. And if you're listening to this elsewhere, uh, find me on YouTube at Sacred Eagle. And, yeah, appreciate all of you. It's always fun talking Eagles football. This was a long one. I'm really enjoying doing this stuff because this is what I want to do. This is kind of how I want to do things. Uh, and, yeah, thank you all for listening in and watching. And uh, I'll see you guys on Friday with an Eagles-Giants preview breakdown prediction video. And, yeah, enjoy the rest of your day. Have a good time. Peace out, y'all.